0: Welcome to Two Courageous Minds with me, Nancy.
1: And me, Keisha. This is where we have vulnerable and candid conversations about mental health, relationships, and everything in between.
0: So come join us as we help you embrace and navigate life by inspiring you to be mentally courageous. Hi,
1: and welcome back to Two Courageous Minds. I'm Keisha. And I'm Nancy. Today, we have a special guest joining us. We have Holly Kwok. Thanks so much for joining us today, Holly. We're really excited to have you.
2: Thank you, and Nancy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: So Holly has an interesting point of view or lens when it comes to mental health. So if you don't mind, could you tell us and our listeners a little bit about what you do for work?
2: Yeah, for sure. I've actually been a therapist, a psychotherapist, for the last, I would say, four years or so. And in the last few years, I've also been a call taker and a dispatch for 911 centers.
1: Very nice. I think it's really interesting how we were even put in contact with you, Nancy, if you wanted to share a little bit with our listeners of how we met Holly.
0: So Holly and I actually met through a mutual friend, uh, which is also my chiropractor. And um, what's really interesting is because our podcast is so mental health focused and Holly being a therapist, we really, again, to Keisha's point, wanted to get her lens and her perspective um, of how she views mental health and kind of her background. So again, very excited to have you, Holly, on our episode. Looking forward to learning a bit more about what you do and your perspective on mental health.
2: Oh, thanks, Nancy. It was actually really wild how we got connected because that mutual friend we hadn't uh, spoken in a while. I guess just because, uh, like, we just we lost touch a little bit. But she saw on my social media that I had written a book called "Andy the Anxious Alligator," and when she reached out to me asking if I wanted to chat with you two, of course I said yes because it just seemed so interesting.
0: And, well, obviously we're going to be talking about your book a little, little bit further on, but we have a bunch of questions to ask you, so I guess we'll get started on that. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so, Holly, uh, you mentioned you are a therapist and a 911 dispatcher. Can you tell us how you sort of got into both of those professions?
2: Yeah, good question. It's funny, I think maybe since I was 10 years old, which is a really young age for a 10-year-old to kind of feel out what they want to do, Actually, my first job I wanted to be was babysitter. That was my (laughs) dream job. Um, But when I turned 10, I actually thought about counseling and psychology and therapy in general. I think at 10, I didn't really know what therapy was, but I knew I wanted to be in that field. I think I was just so interested in behavior and trauma and how that can really affect um, just the way that people live. And so ever since I was 10, I kind of had my mind and my heart set on therapy Um, and in the last few years in terms of dispatching I just I was about to graduate I was just looking for a job and I found the posting and I thought why not it just seemed so interesting and I kind of just fell into the job which is funny because I hear people talking about falling into jobs and I've always wondered how do you even do that yeah and here I am I fell right into the job (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah you're kind of the first nine one one dispatcher that I know. So I mean I have a lot of questions about the job in itself. But I'll let Keisha ask the questions.
1: I guess my question for you is um like I can only imagine of course the only thing I have to go on for the nine one one dispatching is movies, right? But um I can imagine that people are in if they have to call you, they're not having the best day of their life, let's put it that way. So um, I guess I was kind of wondering, how does your training and experience from one role influence the other, or or do they intersect at all? Do you find yourself taking things from your psychotherapist hat and applying it to your work as a 911 call taker?
2: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think To be honest, I think I was hired under the belief that my counseling skills would translate really well in this kind of role. Um, Because I'm not sure if you're aware, but my job at the 911 center is two roles. So I will either call take for the day or I'll dispatch for the day. Um, Which means like if you, let's say you have an emergency, Keisha, and you call 911, sometimes I'll be the person that answers the phone. But the dispatcher is the one that decides which officers, how to allocate resources throughout the region, right? Um, And I think, back to what I was trying to say, is I think I was hired with the belief that that would be a really good skill that translates. And I think to some extent it does because it's people in crisis, right? right? But a large majority of it is, over time, I've come to recognize the two roles are very, very different, And it was hard for me to understand and learn the job at first because with 911, let's say you're having an emergency, we want to ask as many questions as we can as soon as we can so that you can get the help as quick as possible and the right kind of help. But with counseling and therapy, you can't do that because sometimes Mm. questions are very triggering and I think it took me a while to understand that sometimes you just got to push through as a call taker, right?
1: Got it. That makes so much sense. And yeah, that's something you don't even think about on a regular basis. But as you started to say it, I'm like, that's true. That phone call isn't to be a therapist. That phone call is
0: to get them what they need and get it ASAP. So
1: that makes a lot of sense.
0: I just Um, have a question, Holly, about what you just said. Do you ever get confused in the role that you're in? Like, for example, when you're at the call center or as a 911 dispatcher, do you forget sometimes and you kind of put on your therapist hat?
2: Yes, it initially when I started, for sure, because I was still understanding the, the difference in the two worlds. Um, I can think of a really good story that kind of clicked to me uh, when I first started. Um, long story short, there was a suicidal um, 13-year-old female who had run away from the school. And so the school called us asking for us to go find this suicidal female. And I remember calling her cell phone trying to find out where she was because we have officers heading towards the area but we need to know exactly where we're looking for this female and when I when she picked up the phone she was so upset that the school had called 911 because she had disclosed this was the first time she ever told anybody she was having some mental health issues and I remember when she told me that my heart just fell because that is such a traumatic and like such a difficult thing for her to because some people are trying to help her but at the time she just needs someone to listen to right mm-hmm. but the school has to call so I remember wanting to take a step back establish some rapport with her make sure she's okay and then try to find out where she is and I remember during that time when I was still training my trainer looked up at me and she said we need to find out where she is right away mm-hmm. and That means I couldn't take a slow approach. It was a lot more of an assertive, you need to tell me where you are. Um, And that was really hard for me in that moment because it just felt so contradictory to the therapist role, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: But that's when I recognized at the end of the day I was thinking about it and why it sat so heavy with me. And at the end of the day, I realized it's because the roles are just different. And you need those two roles, right? We need to make sure physically she was okay so that emotionally and mentally she can get the support later. But those are hard roles to recognize when you first start out.
0: Yeah, I give you a lot of credit to be able to do that because if I were to be put in that position, I'd probably not act that way. Yeah. And yeah. definitely, like even having that
1: realization, like I'm about to go against everything that I know and everything that I would usually do because that is the job right now, right? So it's like you're you're helping them, but in a completely different way, even though they don't necessarily want the help right now. That's that's tough f- for sure. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. Now you said that you're a psychotherapist, right? Um, mm. Do you specialize in a particular field of practice? Because it's my understanding, and maybe you can explain that to us a little bit as well, but I thought that psychotherapist is more of the like umbrella term, and then you have like psychologists, psychiatrists, all of that. Uh, could you explain that a bit to us? I'm not sure if I'm getting it right.
2: Yeah, for sure. There, I think that's actually a really confusing um, role. It's, it's confusing for people to understand the different roles um, a psychiatrist, psychologist and psychotherapists all play different roles. Psychiatrists are they're doctors. They're, they have the ability to diagnose and prescribe medication. That's probably the, the biggest difference between the psych, psychiatrist and the psychotherapist. Psychotherapists are not doctors. We have our master's degrees, which means it allows us to, have talk therapy with the client, um, depending on what our specialties are. Sometimes we're able to speak to a different uh, clientele more effectively. But for the most part, psychotherapy is talk therapy. So we don't prescribe anything. We don't diagnose, but we walk with the clients based on what's going on, wherever they are in their life. And usually can be long term, depending depending on really what the client's looking for. Um, psychologists are where it gets a little bit confusing because they can diagnose and they do a lot of research. They can um, they don't prescribe medication, but it's more of a, an assessment type of role, um, not as long-term or as frequent as therapists are sometimes. Does that help clarify a little bit?
1: Absolutely, yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. And that being said, so... Uh... And maybe this is where I get confused with a psychologist, Um, but is it fair to say that psychologists are more, like, they'll be the ones to specialize more, whereas uh, as a psychotherapist, you might have a broader set of clientele, or is it the opposite, or it can be either or?
2: Uh, To be honest... I think both can specialize in certain areas really well. Like, like, child psychologists Mm -hmm. would primarily be for children psychologists uh, for children clients, right? Um, Whereas therapists can specialize in like couples therapy. They can specialize in grief. They can specialize in addictions, trauma. Really, it can range based on what they're most comfortable with.
1: Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. And do you specialize in any particular area? Are you allowed to discuss? Also, I want to make sure that we make it clear for our our listeners. There are boundaries that we have to keep always, but especially because of the sensitive nature of Holly's work. But um, Mm -hmm. even if it's a yes, no, and you don't have to get into Mm -hmm. the details as to what it is, but do you have like a particular like niche or um, I guess that you deal more often with or is it broad or let's just leave it as you're (laughs) a (laughs) psychotherapist
2: no it's a it's a really good question i think for the listeners especially out there who are looking for a therapist Mm -hmm. every a lot of therapists will have certain areas that they specialize in that they feel really comfortable with and i think it's worth looking into Um, especially because not everyone's good at everything that would be a lot to ask for from one person they'd be the most amazing therapist out there (laughs) Um, (laughs) But for me, I really, really love working with um, trauma and addiction. And I think those two often go hand in hand. And Mm -hmm. I think what really draws me to addictions is because it's such a misunderstood mental health issue. And it can really, um, I think it just is so misunderstood in the ways that almost always, if you look underneath with someone with addictions, there's so much trauma there. Um, And there's just a a lot of lack of support and just a lot of stereotypes that can really harm them. So I really like working with people with addictions. Awesome.
1: I guess switching gears a little bit, what would you say is a common trend or situation that you encounter with either job? And um, again, of course, doesn't have to be detailed in terms of the type of clientele that you see. Or the type of calls that you take, but whatever kind of details you can give, whether it's you know, the state that the person is in and something that you might have to do maybe to calm them down, or just with our climate, especially now that we're in a pandemic, what kind of trends, I guess, are you seeing in, in your lines of work?
2: I think the biggest, I guess, trend based on just the nature of my job would be trauma. Um, people don't usually call nine one one because they're having a great day. Normally, it's because mm-hmm. something's happening. And I think what's really interesting is how how wide trauma can look like for someone. I remember I've had someone call nine one one screaming because McDonald's forgot to give them their hot sauce oh um, oh <laughs> in the drive-thru. Right? Oh. Like sometimes people call nine one one because they're having like their neighbor threw their trash can on their lawn. But then sometimes people call 911 for some really horrible traumatic incidents too. Um, It really is that perceived understanding of trauma because in that moment, something's wrong and they needed help, right? Um, And in terms of, Keisha, I can't remember exactly how you phrased your question, but something I do to calm them down is, and I think a lot of where that therapy and the counseling skills come in is how quickly can you can you align with that person and understand they need some regulation so that we can get them some help. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
2: And um, yeah, like as I was, as I
1: was thinking to myself or after you explained a little bit about what you do in each profession, I start to, I started to realize that, yeah, like in my head it's like, Oh wow, you'll probably be able to apply so many things from one position to the other and, Mm -hmm. and mix match. But like, They come together in certain ways and then diverge. But I guess the difference from what you've been saying seems to be the speed of which you can do one thing or the other. So with uh, with talk therapy, sure you can you take time like you're supposed to. You're going at their pace, whereas it seems like um, with nine one one dispatching, you got to kind of like reel them in right away so that we can get that that help out to them. So um, for sure. Definitely. Really, really interesting. Also really intense, I can imagine. That being said, I know Nancy and I were talking about this and she had a question for you in terms of like your own upkeep when it comes to this job. So Nancy, if you wanted to go ahead.
0: Yeah. So I know you talked about in the beginning, Holly, that you at the age of 10, that you kind of knew that you wanted to go into the counseling field to sort of like help people. Do you ever yourself or have you ever yourself gone through any sort of mental struggles of your own?
2: Of course, who hasn't? <laughs> and I think, um, for sure, I think everyone, regardless of, regardless really of what you do, it doesn't even have to be a 9 one job or a therapist. We all have, we're all dealt a set of cards that we have to work through, right, um, And I think it's really what I try to do as much as I can is practice what I preach in terms of going to therapy. And I definitely have gone to my own therapy. And honestly, I would say it's just changed so much of the trajectory of how I live my life. And I wanted to live my life intentionally and be aware of the things that maybe triggers for you or things that you haven't quite dealt with. Um, I will say, though, that the therapist that I went to the first time, I think maybe when I was the first therapist I saw wasn't someone that I felt like I clicked with really well. Um, mm-hmm. but And it, it takes time, right? Because this is a really normal situation. You don't click with everybody that you meet right away, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But afterwards, I found a therapist that I really liked. And for the first time in 20 years, I, I felt really heard. And I think there's just a the magic of when you feel heard, you find your voice. And it mm-hmm. just... It was
0: really helpful. That's awesome. It's really interesting that you mentioned as a therapist yourself that you seek a therapist too for help. Because um, maybe I think that maybe there's a notion out there that people may assume that therapists, you know, they're invincible. They just help other people, but they don't need the help end for all, themselves. Deal. Exactly. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> Sure. That's true,
1: right? And it just goes yeah. to show how much we all lean on each other, right? Um, you can't get through it on your own, even though you have some answers. Um, it's also about perspective, right? So someone who's not in your shoes or necessarily maybe in your family or, as they like to say, doesn't have a dog in the fight is the kind of person that you need <laughs> to help you sort out your stuff, right? So even though, yeah, you might sit and be like, oh, I know all of the... The terminology or, like, the triggers or this or that uh, doesn't necessarily mean you can sort through it for yourself. And, like, a uh, something that I always think back to, which makes sense, of course, that should apply to, to mental health. But I work in banking, and um, I always used to tell my clients, like... Bankers are the worst because all the people who work in a branch, I can guarantee you it's been forever since they last looked at their own finances. Why? Because you come into work, you're busy working, dealing with the other people. You don't go, oh, let me go do my bank. No, you come in, you try to work and get (laughs) out of there as soon as you can. So often the people in that profession don't even remember to keep up with their own things in that profession. So it's nice to hear and, and be reminded that. Most, if not all, people could benefit with th- that person, right? That professional help, uh, in addition to whatever whatever other kind of supports you might have.
2: So. Yeah, it's definitely very refreshing
0: to hear that, for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I remember the first time I sat down in front of the therapist that I was with for a bit. She had asked me, "So, Holly, what are your goals here?" And I remember looking at her and going, "I don't know. <laughs> <'Cause> how, <laughs> like, how do you?" Unless you've given, like some people really have, are able to articulate so clearly, and I really admire clients that are able to, to know exactly where they want to go with this or what they want to look at. But more often than not, we just don't know, and that's okay because part of the reason why you're in therapy is to figure out. And I remember I heard this quote. I think it was from a movie with Reese Witherspoon, um, but it was it had said something along the lines of therapy going to therapy is figuring out what you want and learning how to ask for it Uh and I think the simplicity of that just really stuck with me because most of the time we don't know we think we know but we don't and it's okay it's just a space to figure out where you want to go from there and learning how to ask for it right Mm -hmm. I really like that I have a
0: question as well on top of um, that if that's okay like did you hesitate to go to therapy? Because I know I hesitated a lot when I struggled. Um, obviously, I'm not a therapist, so I guess it's not really the same. But <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I needed help from somebody else. So I was curious. Like, did you, like, did you think about those things before you reached out to a therapist, or were you like, yes, I feel like I need to talk to somebody, I need to be heard, and therefore I
2: need to see a therapist. No, absolutely. I think what you just described definitely applied to me. It's never easy to sit in front of someone and talk about things that you're struggling with. And sometimes we don't even know what we're struggling with. We know it's there and it's just foreign and uncomfortable. And who wants to do it, right? But I think a lot of the times wondering, maybe I should go see someone or maybe it's time. I think mm-hmm. that's a really good indication that hey, guess what, you should go. Right. Um, not because you're forcing yourself to do it, but because there's something there that you just need some help, like a, just an impartial person, a safe person to talk to, right? Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: Cool. That's mm-hmm. a really good question because like I never even thought about. I never even thought about what what might make someone decide to go see a therapist or. Um, And I guess the reason I say that is because for me, when it started, like, it took several things going wrong at the same time, um, and just kind of, like, blowing up that I was almost forced to go, right? Um, I, there was a lot of personal stuff going on, and then I had been in a car accident, and just, like, um, it got to a point where I was super unstable emotionally, so it's, like, okay, this has to happen, and, like, um the things that were probably more pressing I was able to hide them under things that weren't as pressing so it's like oh yeah I'm gonna go because of my my newfound phobia with driving but really that was not the big issue you know what I mean so um I never even thought about it where um people who are slightly more (laughs) self-aware get up and decide with one issue like huh I should seek help um but go back and forth about it versus me it's like it never even occurred to me until everything kind of blew up and I'm like I had to do this so um yeah, I think it's good for people to hear that it's not just them who sit and and mull over and say, oh, I don't want to go and open myself up to someone. Like, I think that a lot of our listeners really need to hear that. Um, so thank you for that. Another, I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and then come back to, to you personally. But I was wondering, like, when it comes to mental health, and especially now that you said... Um, in your role as a dispatcher or a call taker, it's not necessarily to be that therapist. It's literally to get the help, like find out the details, get the help to that person. How much collaboration do you, or does the police service have with other um, services in Ontario? So for example, I know, especially in today's climate um, over the last year and a bit that we've been talking about mental health and, you know, having police officers respond to mental health calls as opposed to professionals who know how to deal with mental health issues responding to a mental health call. What is that like for us here in, in, in Ontario, I guess, or in Canada? Like, How much, I don't know if the right word is, leeway or ability do you have to get other services involved alongside with um, like police and fire and ambulance personnel?
2: that is a really good question especially because there there's definitely an increase in mental health calls so let's I guess we can break this question down in two ways so mm-hmm. let's say after a call when everything is dealt with and wrapped up police often works closely with CAS um, or with shelters or depending on what the support is they'll always do follow-up and referrals and um, every police service has their victim services, which means it's they work with the police, but they don't share information. Mm-hmm. So they do a lot of aftermath crisis support as well, and they connect them with counseling and they connect them with resources based on what the issue is. Um, but let's say in terms of the in-progress mental health issues mm-hmm. where someone's having like a was this psychosis episode or is off the medication or is something that is triggering them. Um, a lot of police services actually have mental health trained officers that are different than your normal day-to-day officers in okay. that they are specifically trained to recognize and understand how to de-escalate mental health situations, um, which is amazing because this is something that we desperately need in today's okay. society. Um I will say that policing seems to have made made a lot of progress, especially I would say in the last ten years. Mental health has has made a huge, has made huge steps forward. Um, of course, there's so much work to be done still, yeah. mm-hmm. but and, and the same goes with policing. But there is a lot of um, there has been a lot of progress, and even for whoever's listening, or even for yourself, if you ever needed, if you're ever in a in a pinch. If you mm-hmm. let them know, I think this is a mental health call, if you have any mental health officers available, it's definitely worth asking for.
1: Okay, that's good to know. And are there, is there, like, enough? Like, is it? Is there a sufficient <laughs> amount of, of mental health officers or training? Um, I guess that's part one of my question, and part two is, like, uh, is it that, like yourself, like how you came into the role with background knowledge um, in, in terms of like the mental health, what's the word I'm looking for?
2: The mental health training background. Yeah. Like how you, you
1: came, you came with that. Right. And, um, it seemed like that would be a good fit for you to take on the role that you have, uh, for these mental health police officers. Is it that they're police officers first who were then trained with this mental health, um, you know curriculum or is it that they came into the police force specifically wanting to be mental health police officers does that make sense like um, yeah yeah I guess it's the chicken or the egg which one came first when it comes (laughs) to that role yeah Uh,
2: so to answer your first question about whether or not we have enough resources to allocate for mental health calls I think it really depends on how many mental health crises we might be having at a given time mm-hmm. um, based on the situation I guess that kind of determines the answer I'm not sure <laughs> if that I helps. get what you mean
1: <laughs> yeah I guess if you get five um, calls at once versus one at a time that'll make a big difference yeah
2: mm-hmm. um, and I guess with the nature of policing and dispatching it's always based on priority right so let's say mm-hmm. um, someone's not like they're having some mental health struggles but they're not necessarily in crisis um Mm -hmm. we always try to allocate resources based on that i guess a way to answer your question um but we could always use more right yeah (laughs) especially with mental that's something that can escalate very quickly um
1: and i think i'm sorry to interrupt but i think that's also mm -hmm. a really good point that you bring up because a lot of the conversation, well, let me step back and, and kind of tell you where I'm going with this. So Nancy and I have had conversations, um, about everything, but recently <laughs> we were talking about race, right? Race. And, and, and of course we're always talking about mental health, but we're talking about race and how it relates to that. And we've been thinking of doing an episode, which we still might, but we realize we have so much, to learn, You know what I mean? Um, and also we realize how different it is for everyone. But I know um, for me anyways, a lot of times um, when we're talking about policing and mental health, like someone having a mental health crisis. And, and I'll say in the States, definitely also there in Canada, but it's all over the place a lot more when it comes to the States. Uh, is like the response to mental health crises being met with violence right so that's kind of I guess where those questions started coming from about like is there enough or are we hurting Um, do do people need to apply and is it like do people need to apply who already have a mental health background or is it that you apply to be a police officer and they'll teach you what you need to know kind of thing so I think that's that's where that comes from but I think it's also important to know, like people say, oh, well, if those resources are up there, why are the guys with the guns showing up? But again, it's about priority, as you said, right? So someone who's having um, or who's in crisis and their crisis is violent, but someone else is is not, obviously that's where different resources are going to want to be funneled, right? Or if a lot of people are um, at risk versus not as many so I think it's also important to remember like what we see especially in the media is one situation happening and does not take into account all the other emergencies that are happening at that same time and where resources were already allocated so um that just like sent fireworks into my mind when you said that so (laughs) yeah that even though it wasn't a, a lot that you said it makes perfect sense and it's something that is really important for people to keep in mind I think yeah for sure, um, and I know I threw a huge long question at you that had like four parts. <laughs> but the second part of my question was about the the mental health training, right? So is is it that those officers who have the mental health training is it that they came with that or that they learned it after the fact? And I mean, of course, I don't expect you to have all the answers, but just curious for whatever you mm-hmm. do
2: know. <laughs> for sure. So with our mental health officers, normally they all start off as officers. Um, they all go through their training. They all go to police college. Um, and then they spend their years as rookies training. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of when they become mental health officers, it's usually because they it's something that I guess is close to their heart or it's something that they're interested in. So they go into that specific department, I guess you can call it. Um, but a lot of the times, I think I might have forgotten to mention, they also travel with a trained crisis social worker. So they are not officers. They are oh. social workers. And because okay. a lot of the times, they but they travel together because sometimes things just go sideways. And yep. so they would need the protection as well. Um, but sometimes sometimes when someone shows up in uniform it becomes a trigger to them because of their own experiences their own traumas and it's just sometimes easier not to have that trigger in their presence and just recognize that hey these people legitimately just want to come and help you and see what's going on
1: makes a lot of sense thank you that puts a lot of things into perspective
2: yeah I just had an
0: image in my head I don't know if you guys have watched movies or whatnot where someone's like jumping off a building and like you have the cops Uh there and then you have like a bystander who's trying to convince them because the cops like (laughs) what they're doing is not working so just when holly said that i was like oh yeah totally that makes so much sense the bystander
2: hero yeah (laughs) exactly
0: Exactly.
1: yeah no that's perfect so we talked we talked a lot about your professions and um of course we tried to steer clear of specific details, but we were talking about um, your own mental health journey and if you sought any kind of assistance at any point. Obviously, we know with the nature of both jobs um, that any normal human being would probably take on a little bit of stress, right? Because you're, you're taking on everyone else's bad days in both jobs, right? What do you do specifically to de-stress, whether that's in a mental health way or just anything at all that brings you joy?
2: Well, I think this is something that has evolved a lot over the last few years, I guess, based on how busy you are or your interests change. Um, But I think what's stayed consistent for me in terms of self-care and taking care of myself is creating something. And I think I just... The other day, I heard someone say life that gives life, and I think that is a really good way to sum up kind of what I enjoy and what kind of helps me, I guess, de-stress, if you will. Um, Lately, my thing has been growing vegetables.
0: Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah,
2: like a little little vegetable garden. Um, I currently live in a condo, um, but I do have a really long balcony, and so I try to... I tried to start my own little vegetable garden last year. I would That's say awesome. it was mostly successful. A lot of things didn't turn out, but it's <laughs>
0: okay. It <laughs> How it
2: goes? But it—it's just so fun because I think sometimes I think, but why? It just brought me so much joy, and I think that it's just so metaphorical. Like growth just looks so different for everybody. Sometimes things grow underneath the soil, like potatoes. And then some Mm -hmm. things grow above the soil, like tomatoes and zucchinis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, I think I just, there's just something there that just speaks to me. And I I really enjoy, yeah, just a life that gives life. That's amazing. I mean,
0: (laughs) so relatable. I think I'm, I feel like I'm like that too. I mean, I don't feel like I've invested myself into gardening because my mom (laughs) mom does that. But just watching the plants grow, there's just something about it. Like you just put so much effort um, to nourish the the plant and just seeing it, you know, get to this beautiful item, flower, vegetable, whatever that might be. is just so rewarding.
2: Beautiful item. I love
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And it's, yeah. it's funny that
1: you talk about uh, life giving life because um, the other thing that you gave life to was your book. <laughs> and mm. We definitely want to talk about your book yeah. as well. Um, that's definitely where I thought you were going. I wasn't expecting vegetables, but <laughs> I, I, it's given me a lot to think about as well. Um, but Yeah, your book.
0: I know Nancy had some questions for you about your book, and I did too, and so why don't you start off? Well, first of all, both Keisha and I have a copy of your book, and um, the first day I got it, I did read it. And I must say, it's just, it's so beautifully written, Holly. Um, I know it's like your first book, and there's just... I know it's like a children's book, but um, I know when we spoke, it was, you know, you said it can be read by anybody because it's just so relatable. But just curious to know what inspired you to write the book in the first place.
2: Mm -hmm. First of all, thank you. That was really sweet. I'm glad that the two of you enjoyed it and resonated with it. Um, It was, like you said, my goal So they're quite clinical concepts, but I felt like they could be packaged in children-friendly formats, but really, I was really hoping for the adults to read it and go, that's me, or Mm -hmm. I I can relate to this, because it talks about something called cognitive distortions, Um, and I, I remember when I learned about this, these concepts, I thought, everybody does this, you don't even have to have anxiety or depression, everyone has cognitive distortions at some point, and sometimes they get a little out of control and becomes more challenging to wrestle with. Um, But what inspired me to write it was because I, I figured if kids could name these thoughts and recognize that my mind is playing tricks on me, how much more earlier on could you prevent these things from spiraling, or how how effective could it be for the parents to be able, or the guardians or whoever to talk to the kids about this and go, Hey, currently are you being an overgeneralizing Ollie? Mm-hmm. And for those who haven't read the book yet, it's it's an octopus who overgeneralizes all his thoughts, right? Um, I just, I felt like there was just so much potential in these concepts. Yeah, I know, And it's, it's so amazing. like,
1: yeah. And, and I have the book in front of me, Andy, the anxious alligator. And, um, <laughs> illustrated by Holly as well right <laughs> and it's just it it breaks things down so simply but also like it's so it's just so honest and heartwarming right but really gets down to the fact that we all deal with these things and um yeah I I love from the first time when we spoke to Holly uh, you mentioned that um it's like secretly for the parents and I, I thought that was so smart like just from reading the the description for the book, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so smart that that's a kid book, kid's book. And then when you said that it's secretly for the parents, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's even smarter. So, um, <laughs> it definitely would recommend um, just to read the back of it to you, Andy the Anxious Alligator. So, he loves going to school but finds he has some anxiety about it. In this heartwarming tale, Andy learns about cognitive distortions and mindfulness techniques to help him cope with his anxiety. So, Definitely, definitely recommend. And Holly, I think you said that it's available on, did you say Amazon?
2: Yeah, on Amazon. Yeah, right? Yeah. so yeah.
1: definitely um, really, I think a really good way to introduce those concepts to a child, but also like just to the family, right? Um, the other day, I think I saw a video online I think my mom sent it to me actually and it was a lady and her son and I guess he gets really anxious and it triggers his asthma uh, when something very small goes wrong so I think he got like a a small cut on his finger and just was like crying and panicking and um, she's been practicing different techniques with him to help get that into control and something she said in there was you know if she is unable to stop and breathe and think and calm herself down in a situation that she's dealing with with her child. How can she expect her child to stop and breathe and calm himself down? Right. So something Mm -hmm. that I think they said they were doing was like practicing blowing in each other's face, just kind of as a distraction. But just you know (laughs) what I mean to calm themselves down. So it's like a lot of times I find when we're dealing with children are trying to teach these concepts to children the adults are learning as well and um i think it's really cool i go through it every day with my son as well and it's just it's it's just so smart so um i yeah (laughs) absolutely and i guess my question for you is if you plan on writing any more books is it something that crossed your mind
2: I (laughs) (laughs) i do i definitely have dreams of writing as many as I can um, it does yeah like I um, I do have a, a bulldog right now his name is Butters he Aww, is a hopeless nutcase. case <laughs> 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 um, he's just um he just is so clumsy, like, walks into everything. Like, right now he has a cone on his head, so he's oh, really disgruntled. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but he he inspired me for my next book, which is probably going to be on bullying, and it's probably going to be called Butters oh. the Bully Bulldog. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, at oh, some point, I, I like definitely it. want to to write and finish it. And I, I think why I'm so interested in writing the children's books is because I think it's a little bit as to what you talked about, Keisha, where... We're expecting our kids sometimes to be really articulate. Why are you so upset? Um, And kids just don't know. They just don't have the emotional vocabulary or the ability to emotionally regulate themselves during those times. Like Even if you thought about the last time you had a really heated argument with someone, how difficult is it for us as fully grown adults Mm -hmm. to articulate exactly why we're upset or angry? It's really hard when we're really triggered. And so my dream and my goal for these books was to be able to give kids the language to be able to speak about it, but also for the parents to even suggest, hey, are you feeling like a mind-reading Melvin right now, Uh, Mm -hmm. as like a reference to the Mm -hmm. book, but because if they have some sort of mutual understanding, mutual vocabulary, I think it can create some really effective conversations rather than just timeouts and screaming at each yeah, other, absolutely. which sometimes happens, right? Because you're just mad.
1: Very good point. And, and, and nowadays, kids absorb so much. Uh, this is a conversation I was having with um, my son, Sitter, actually. Like, back in our day, like, when we were born, like, everything, A, we didn't have the internet, <laughs> um, B, like, everything was just kind of, like, a slower pace, you know what I mean? But now kids uh, have so much... Uh, good and bad that they filter in. So, A, to have some good things is definitely positive. But B, like, they, they I feel like they just learn so much quicker than, than other generations did. So, um like I my son I can put him to watch or he'll he'll watch what he wants to watch but like he he will apply things at the right time so um I think the other day my sister she was crying laughing she told me that he looked at her and said we live and we learn he's not even <laughs> 4 yet okay <laughs> and he looked at her and said we live and we learn and like I'm like I think I asked him I told my mom and then um I said Miles like where did you even hear that from and he's like you mama and I'm like <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so they're absorbing things all the time and they're trying to figure out when to use it and I think it's definitely our job to help place the right things into their minds, right? Like so that they know they can pull it out when they need to use it. So yeah. um yeah, definitely think and it'll it'll help keep us in check as as adults as well, right? Because when they start repeating this stuff to you, um you're like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I did." teach that or i did say that like you you have to check yourself as well so (laughs) just everything kind of falls into place hopefully Mm. so yeah Yeah. i love
2: that yeah and it's been really i think it's been really humbling and really cool when like i've sold some copies here and there and just even the thought of kids holding my book and being able to absorb this information it's just a really wild idea that somebody's holding something that you created um Mm. And even when the parents or the adults give me feedback, they say, hey, that's me. And it just brings me so much joy. Not that they're, you know, (laughs) thinking sideways sometimes, (laughs) but just the fact that they're able to recognize this is me too. And that's, you know, that's all I could really ask for, right? Because it's just an awareness. It's it's learning.
1: Mm -hmm. I guess the last uh, thing that we wanted to ask um, was just what do you want people to know, whether it's about you whether it's about um, the work that you do about mental health what do you want to share
2: Hmm. I think with both of my roles and because so much of it is with people in crisis or people who have um, a lot of mental health issues or trauma that they're currently going through one of the quotes that have always stuck with me I guess as a bit of a like my my own life philosophy is it's by Stephen Covey, and it, it says, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Mm-hmm. And I think that has always stuck with me because as humans, we're not very vulnerable. We're not quick to be vulnerable. And so a lot of the times the way that we react or that the way that we speak or attack people is very indicative of, of trauma, right? And I think it's so important when we're working or talking or dealing with someone who is in a crisis to understand what they're saying, like on the phone or even like a client in person or even like a coworker or just some person on the street, because people don't repeat something unless they feel heard. And it's just... Recognizing people respond really sideways sometimes because it's just trauma. It just worked for them and it was survival for the longest time. So it's having that patience and just the kindness to be able to take a step back and go, okay, there's something here. What do they need? But it takes a lot of patience for yourself Mm -hmm. to be able to recognize that. Because sometimes we just, sometimes it just comes out of nowhere and and it's hard for us to, to hold that moment. But I think that quote really stuck with me for most of what I do in my job.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I love it.
1: Nancy, did you have any other questions for Holly?
0: No, I mean, I am just, you know, super glad, Holly, that you said okay to us to record this episode. And it was just so nice to hear about um, what it's like from your perspective um, with your two hats. And um, we got a chance to learn a little bit more about, I mean, I definitely got a chance to learn a little bit more about your 9 one dispatch role. But yeah, you are, you know, a lady with multiple hats and, you know, I give you so much credit for all that you do because I can't even, you know, keep myself straight with one job and having to record with Keisha almost some days. So... <laughs> But yeah, no, really, really glad to have you on um, the episode. Um, And of course, listeners, if you guys want to grab Holly's book, please go on to Amazon and check that out. Uh, We'll leave a link to um, where you can buy her book. And yeah, so just really, really glad that you're able to join us today.
1: And yeah, just um, wanted to say thanks also, Holly, for joining us. Um, it's, It's interesting because a lot of people and especially as like we're used to talking amongst ourselves about mental health and um if we're talking it's either ourselves or it's with our therapist right it's not talking with someone who has that experience but isn't necessarily trying to help or fix us per se so like to kind of hear your perspective or like you know like when you mentioned um that you as a therapist have also seen a therapist so things like that um to just like normalize I guess uh is really nice and just to thank you for sharing like your passion project with us I I really that's something when we first spoke that you called our podcast you called it a passion project and it's stuck like that in my head ever since because yeah just like find, remembering to do the things that make you happy and that help you find joy and just like We've spoken to you like all of two, three times, and that's what you kind of radiate. So thank you for joining us. Oh,
2: thank you. I think, yeah, with your your podcast, things that excite you, they're not random. I think a lot of the times they're connected to your purpose, so follow them. And I love that you guys did the podcast. So thanks so much for having me. I loved it. Absolutely.
0: Well, once again, Holly, thank you so much for joining us today. To our listeners, we always like to say this at the end of our podcast. Always be kind to yourself. Remember to be courageous. Follow what you want to do, um, what you're passionate about. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Uh-huh.